Well, it's good to see you here this morning. I, uh, I do hope that your summer is going well. Good, good. I hope you've had some opportunities to enjoy the summer, even though it's been like, I don't know, 150 degrees this week. But uh, maybe you've had some time to have vacation with the family or something along those lines. Uh, we need to enjoy summer while it's here, don't we? Because it's flying by. I mean, can you believe it's the end of July already? I mean, it's only about three or four weeks till school starts. I knew I'd get two different reactions there. Yeah, speaking of, uh, speaking of things flying by, we are all currently in our, we're already, in fact, in our third week of our four-week sermon series titled First Century Messages for 21st Century Churches. And this is a um, study in the book of Revelation, more specifically in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And you know, in these two chapters, the Apostle John pins seven letters that were dictated to him by Jesus Christ. And these letters were addressed, as we've learned the last couple weeks, to seven literal churches uh, in cities located in the area of Asia Minor, uh, the modern-day nation of Turkey. And in our series, we're going to be covering five of those letters. You know, Tertullian, a prolific Christian author of the second century, wrote that the Apostle John was committed to Jesus Christ such that he refused to worship Caesar as God. And because of that, he was boiled in oil as persecution. But he survived that torture, and as such, Domitian, the cruel Roman emperor, Caesar at the time, banished him to the island of Patmos, just a little hunk of rock off the coast of Turkey. And while on Patmos, Jesus gives John a collection of visions that are unparalleled in, in their imagery, in their scope, in their revelation. And that collection of visions is the book of, Revela- of the Revelation. And so John tells us about that. Let's see what John had to say about it. Pull your uh, sermon notes out of your worship study guide there and uh, worship folder, and you can follow along as I read these, these words. Revelation chapter 1, John begins, he says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then we'll drop down to verse 9. Verse 9 says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and in the kingdom and in the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Jesus Christ tells John, I've got a message that I want to give you, and I want you to put it in a book and send it to seven 
specific churches. And so these letters in chapters 2 and 3 are kind of the introductory letters to those seven churches for the book of Revelation. And these seven letters all have a similar pattern in structure and in organization, which really is important to the meaning of the letters. But sometime in in the future, uh, you need to take time to just kind of study that. I think you'd be amazed at, at that concept. But, you know, one important similarity in these seven letters is a phrase that kind of ties all these letters together. In each letter, Jesus says these words. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that phrase, along with the introduction to each letter, kind of speaks to various levels of application for each letter. For example... Jesus, at the beginning of each letter, says, to the church of. And so when he says that, that is specifically referring to the fact that that letter applies to the specific church it's addressed to. For example, he says, to the church of Smyrna. That means the letter has application directly for Smyrna in that day. But then he also says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You notice that word churches is plural, right? So the meaning of application because of that means that each message was not only directed at the specific church it was addressed to, but it also applied to all the other six churches. So you have messages to real historical churches that apply to all of the churches And by inference, they apply to all the churches throughout history. In fact, these letters, these seven messages have application and value for New Life Church, Gehenna, today. They apply to us as a church. And then uh, another application, probably I think the most important application here, is Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Now, as you know, I look around and all of us in this room have at least one ear on our heads. That means the letter applies to you. Jesus says, if you have an ear, listen to what I'm saying. That's why these letters are so important. Do you realize that Jesus Christ himself has sent you seven personal messages? Each one of these messages are directed right at you, right at me. So we, so we can apply these messages to ourselves. And, you know, week one in our series, Jay spoke about the messages to the churches of Ephesus and Pergamum. You know, Jesus gave both of those churches an attaboy for their hard work in guarding against doctrinal heresy and in holding the faith. But both of those churches received sharp judgment and sharp condemnation. Why? Because they allowed compromise to creep in. They allowed compromise with the world to creep in to the church. And it killed their love for Jesus. And I think the message that he has for us here today is that we are to hold fast to the truth, we're to guard against compromise, and we're to stay hot in love on fire for Jesus Christ. That was week one. Last week, Champ shared with us the message to the church of Philadelphia. 
And their badge of honor was the gospel. You know, Philadelphia held fast to the gospel. And Jesus encouraged them to continue living in the gospel. It's interesting. Jesus had no words of condemnation or judgment to give to the church of Philadelphia. He had nothing but good things to say. Why? Because they were holding on to the gospel. The gospel, that that good news. That good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Doing for us what we couldn't do. And then on that third day, he arose from the dead, securing our victory. Securing the right that we have of salvation. Jesus ripped the barrier between God and man. Allowing us to know God himself personally. Providing the only way we can know God. That's the gospel. That's good news. Amen? Amen. Well, the Philadelphia church, they pinned their hopes to that message. They pinned their hopes to the gospel. And Jesus told them, he said, I've set an open door before you. And you have direct access to me. I love you. And I'm going to take care of you. And Jesus has the same message for us today. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're holding on to the gospel as your only hope, Jesus says, I've set an open door before you. You have direct access to me. Hallelujah. So now, today we're going to look at the letter to the church of Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The words of the first and of the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Well, in this letter to Smyrna, we can certainly understand that Smyrna was suffering persecution. And you know, if you read the Bible, you're probably not surprised by the fact that Christians have trouble in this world. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to have trouble in this world. You know, James says that trouble is a perfecting work in us. So just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean that we have a pain-free life, does it? No. Peter says, after you've suffered a little while, the Lord will make you perfect. Jesus allows trials in our life to purify us in holiness and in trust and in faith. And now today, those of us in this room, we we may not be suffering direct persecution as Smyrna was suffering, and we may not be suffering direct persecution as our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering. But we all have trouble in our lives. And that trouble can purify us. It can make us holy. Trouble should cause us to evaluate our lives 
and cause us to cling, run to Jesus. Because He's the only one we can trust. He's the only one we can trust. And the church that suffers trials is the church that's purged of sin. The believer who holds up well under trial is a believer with the right perspective. You know, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul reminds us that suffering produces endurance, perseverance, and great hope. And then he writes again in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And Smyrna is a clear example of that. This church had a big problem. They were in trouble. They were suffering persecution. Let me kind of give you a little background on the situation in Smyrna to kind of set the scene. You know, Smyrna today is actually the uh, city known as Izmir. Izmir, it's the third largest city in Turkey. And it's really a very ancient city. I mean, it dates back to 3000 B.C. So Izmir is one of the oldest cities still in existence. And for centuries, Smyrna was considered the most beautiful city in the world. It was considered the most ideal place to live on earth. Um, in Roman times, Smyrna was, was quite a place. It had one of the largest, uh, most beautiful and finest sea harbors in the world. It was the center of science and medicine. It was always, in the Roman civil wars, it was always on the winning side, so the Romans allowed it to be a free, self-governing city. It governed itself. And in the first century, Smyrna was a hub for trade. Its prime location and its access on trade routes made this city an extremely wealthy center for commerce. Financially, it was just over the top, unbelievably wealthy. And not only was it financially wealthy, but Smyrna was also known for its temples. The city was filled with huge, large, ornate temples dedicated to the the whole pantheon of Greek gods. These beautiful temples were kind of the, the shining glory of Smyrna. In fact, these temples were called the crown of Smyrna. When you went to visit Smyrna, you went there to visit the temples, the crown of Smyrna. And I think of particular interest to us today, Smyrna had a real zeal and unique passion and dedication to the worship of Caesar. You know, in that day, once a year, there was a special celebration in Smyrna where each citizen of Smyrna had to come to the altar or the temple of Caesar and burn incense on the altar, declaring Caesar is God, Caesar is Lord. It was a requirement. And for doing that, you received a certificate. And that certificate allowed you to hold a job, it allowed you to buy. It allowed you to sell. It allowed you to be involved in commerce. And so if you didn't have that certificate, you were pretty much in trouble. You starved to death. Uh, no one would do business with you because they feared retribution from the Roman government. So obviously this put the Christians in Smyrna in a really tough spot. Because they couldn't very well declare Caesar is God and declare Jesus is God. And so these Christians had to make a choice. 
And you know what they chose? They chose to declare Jesus as the Lord. They refused to compromise. They refused to allow the truth that Jesus is Lord to be mixed with the lie that Caesar is Lord, even if it meant their lives. They were faithful unto death. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because in this letter, Jesus has no condemnation, no judgment for them whatsoever. This letter is only one of two that in the seven letters that has no condemnation, Smyrna and Philadelphia that we talked about last week. So the Smyrna Christians were faithful unto death. And the result of not worshiping Caesar was abject poverty and persecution. I mean, if you know anything about Roman history at all, you know that during this time, Domitian launched an extensive, uh, severe persecution against Christians all across the Roman kingdom, and it apparently reached some sort of fever pitch here in Smyrna. Christians were considered subversives. They were considered uh, anti-Caesar, anti-Roman terrorists of the worst kind. They were hunted down and killed. So... Smyrna being the only one of two letters that receives no condemnation because there's no discussion about sin. There's no word from the Lord saying, listen, you better do this or else, you know, don't make me come down there. (laughs) He had nothing but good things to say to Smyrna because this is a purged church. It's been purged of sin. It's been purged of error through the crush of suffering. You know, as we read this letter, uh, one concept or one word just kind of jumps right off the page. It's the word death. Three times in these four verses, Jesus uses the word death. And then the letter itself, the, the subject matter of the letter itself is suffering to the point of death. I mean, even the name of the church, Smyrna, speaks directly to Jesus's point. Smyrna is a very interesting word. You know what Smyrna means? Smyrna means myrrh. In fact, the words are interchangeable. Myrrh. And I don't know if you're familiar with myrrh, but myrrh was a substance extracted from a small thorny tree in the desert. And it was used as a perfume. It was used primarily in embalming fluid of the day. Myrrh supposedly slowed decomposition while providing a a fragrant aroma. It was embalming fluid. You know, myrrh is mentioned several times in the New Testament. You probably remember in Matthew chapter 2 when the wise men came to visit the Christ child. And they brought three gifts. What did they bring? They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, Smyrna. They brought Smyrna. Sort of a foreshadowing of Jesus' destiny because Jesus was born to die. And in uh, Mark chapter 15, Jesus is hanging on the cross and they give him wine mixed with Smyrna to try to to drink. In John um, chapter 19, Jesus is on on the cross and they take his body down off the cross and they wrap his body and they cover him in Smyrna, myrrh. 
And myrrh, I think, really describes the suffering character of this church, suffering even to death because, you know, to extract the fragrance and the the embalming properties from myrrh, it had to be crushed. The crushing transformed it from a non-usable resin material into a valuable perfume. It had to be crushed and smashed. And so we see this little church, the myrrh church, Smyrna, being crushed by persecution and death. God permitted this church to be crushed so that it would yield the sweet aroma of grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that we're all being transformed from glory to glory, from self-centered uselessness to a beautiful essence giving off that sweet aroma of Jesus' love and grace. We're all being transformed. And, you know, most often that transformation occurs through trouble. That's where it occurs. In our lives, when we're being crushed, that's where transformation occurs. And the crushed Smyrna Christians, they fled for refuge to Jesus, didn't they? This little church in the town of Myrrh was being crushed because of her love for Christ. Unlike Ephesus, we talked about in week one, apparently in Smyrna there was no leaving of a first love. Their love for Jesus didn't wane. They really, really loved Jesus. You know, persecution and trouble drives true believers to Jesus Christ and it helps keep that first love hot. And Smyrna appeared to be a defeated, destitute, crushed, and powerless church. But in reality, oh my, they were the fragrant aroma of love for Jesus Christ. In um, verse 8, Jesus introduces himself to Smyrna. And what does he say? He says, I'm the first and the last who died and came to life. You know, that's a title drawn from Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. In fact, all seven letters, Jesus introduces himself with a description from something that's said in Revelation chapter 1. And so here Jesus says, I'm the first and I'm the last. Man, that's a powerful phrase. Where did that phrase come from? Well, I think if we go back to the book of Isaiah, we see that phrase. God uses that phrase of himself on four occasions in Isaiah. For example, Isaiah 41.4, God says, Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am He. God says, I'm the first and the last. Why does Jesus select this description of Himself for Smyrna right here? What does Jesus say? He's saying, I'm God. I am. I'm God. You can trust me. You know Jesus Christ is the eternal, infinite God already in existence when all things were created. And when all things are going to be destroyed, guess what? He's still going to be there. He's the first. He's preexistent. He's the last. He'll be there when it's gone. Jesus Christ. He transcends time. He transcends space. He transcends all creation. Amen? Amen. Jesus, the eternal God. And then the next phrase is really the kicker. He says, who died and came to life. 
the same one who was before all things and who lives forever, transcends time and space. He was dead and came to life. How can the eternal living God die? I mean, that's a paradox, isn't it? That's, that's a question for the ages. How can he die? But you know what? He did. As a man, Jesus died. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, God among us, God with us. He came to earth to die. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, but now he lives forever as that glorified God-man. So why does he introduce himself to Smyrna this way, to this church? I think because of the persecution, right? I mean, these people were in trouble, and he says to them, you're in a difficult place. It's hard living in this world, and because of me, you're going to have trouble. The world's going to be unkind to you because you follow me. And I want you to know, I was there before it started, and I'll be here when it's over. I'm bigger than all your persecution. I'm bigger than all your problems, all your trials, all your pains, all your stuff. I'm bigger than all that. In me, you're going to overcome. No matter what you face, no matter what circumstances arise, you're going to overcome. He says to them, you know what? I know about dying. I was literally dead and I've come back to life. And he reminds them that even if they die in the coming persecution they're going to face, that they'll not experience anything he hasn't faced. If they die, they'll not be cut off from him. They'll not be cut off from his resurrection power. Because the Lord Jesus, he suffered the most unjust, the most severe, the most powerful persecution anyone has ever suffered on earth. Bearing the sins of the world on the cross, that's supreme suffering. You got problems? Are you suffering in your life? Let me tell you, Jesus knows about suffering. He's been there. And I think Jesus is saying that same thing to us today. No matter what you're going through, Jesus has been there. He can handle it. You may have trouble this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life. But today you may be having financial trouble. You may be having physical trouble. You may be having marriage or relationship troubles. You may be having spiritual trouble. Circumstances just might be against you. You may be suffering persecution. You might be going through all kinds of things today. And if you're sitting here and you're not having trouble today, praise God. Praise God. But get ready because it's on the way. What Jesus says to all of us, listen, I'm the first. I'm the last. I was dead and now I'm alive. You can trust me. You can trust me. You know, the last few weeks around here at New Life, it's been particularly hard on our New Life family. We've uh, experienced loss in almost every way. And to those of you here that have directly suffered the loss of family or friends, Jesus says today to you, trust me. Trust my heart. 
Trust my plan for you. Trust me that I have the power to get you through this. I've been there. Just trust me. You know, in verse 9, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Boy, man, those are words of comfort. Right there. Jesus says, I know. He tells this church, I know what you're going through. I know your trouble. I know your pain. I know your suffering. And I even know who your enemies are. Don't think I've forgotten you. Don't think I've abandoned you. I know. He says, I know your tribulation. And that word literally means pressure. He says, I know that you're being crushed under the pressure of persecution, under the pressure of problems, under the pressure of pain. I know that. Jesus knows what you're going through here today. Aren't you glad of that? You're not forgotten. He hasn't forgotten about you at all. You know, when trouble comes, the world, the enemy, our flesh, really tries to make us doubt. We ask those questions. Does God really care? Does God really know what's going on in my life? Does God really care about me? I mean, does God really know what He's doing? Because I got to tell you, I got a problem and I've got the way it should be worked out and he's not doing it the way I think he should. I'm not sure he really knows what he's doing. Have you ever asked those questions? Are you asking those questions maybe today? Does God really care about me? Well, Jesus says to us right now, right here in this room at this moment, I know. I know, and you can trust me. You know, Smyrna, I know your pressure and your poverty. And the word poverty here means you have absolutely nothing at all. Complete destitution. You know, you're completely destitute. It's not that you have enough and your bills aren't paid. No, it's you've got nothing at all. You've got absolutely nothing. The Smyrnans had been robbed. They'd been plundered. They'd been slandered, accused, imprisoned. This church had had every reason to collapse. This church had every reason to say, why don't we just go burn incense on Caesar's altar because it'd be a lot better than this. They had every reason to say that. But what did they say? They said, we're going to hold to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Smyrna never lost their first love. And Jesus says to him, you know, I know the crushing you're in and the destitute poverty you experience, but I also know specifically who your enemies are. I know those Jews that say they're Jews and they're not. I know exactly who they are. You know, Champ last week covered this in detail. And we know that the Jews often joined hands with the Romans uh, opposing Christianity, uh, repeatedly informing the Romans uh, about the Christians and using local governments to attack the church. And Jesus says, listen, don't you worry about them. I know who they are. Uh Uh-oh. I don't want to be them, do you? Jesus knows who your enemies are. And I think overall the big idea from from this letter of, of Jesus to Smyrna, I think the big idea is perspective. You know, if you're new in your faith, 
you're a new Christian, maybe you haven't been saved very long, you know you need to understand that you need to be looking at life not through your eyes, but through His eyes. And if you are a seasoned follower of Jesus Christ, you already know this stuff. Well, let me tell you, it's good to be reminded of it. It's about perspective. Why? Because when trouble comes, when the pain is all over you, and you can't see straight, and it doesn't feel like it's ever going to end, guess what? It's easy to forget. Jesus knows what's going on. Smyrna had a false perception about, him, about themselves. They had a false perspective of the situation. Jesus says, listen, I know you're in trouble. I know you think you're poor and you have nothing. I know you look at your situation and it seems overwhelming. But guess what? You don't see the big picture. You don't see what I see. You're not poor. You're rich beyond your wildest dreams. Why? Because you've got me. You know, when we've got Jesus, we don't need anything else. Amen. Jesus said, you're not poor, you've got me. And I can tell you today that no matter what circumstances appear to be in your life today, Jesus knows. He knows your trouble. He knows your need. He knows your enemy. And since He's the first and He's the last, most importantly, He knows your destiny. He knows where you're going. Verse 10, he says, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. You may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. But be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Yes, Smyrna, you're going through persecution, and I'm not keeping it from you. In fact, you're going to have a period of ten days where the persecution is going to become hot and furious. You think you're in trouble now? Just wait. There's something even worse coming down the road. Wow, we, that's good work for a revival, right? <laughs> Let's just have a revival. You're going to die in persecution. He says this persecution is going to kill some of you. And you know, there's lots of ideas about what those 10 days mean. You know, I think the point for us today is Jesus said there's a specific period you're going to experience suffering. He tells them your troubles are not forever. I've put a limit on it. You know, there's a specific time period of intense trouble. It might be 10 days. It might be 10 weeks. It might be 10 years. It might be over a period of 10 different Caesars, whatever. But it's going to end. And you know, our trouble in this life when compared to all of eternity is just a moment. You know, what would James say to us? James would say, what is your life? It's just a vapor that appears for a moment and then vanishes away. You may have trouble starting today till the end of your days, and it never lets up. But you know what? It's going to end. And when it ends, if you're faithful to Jesus Christ, you've got all eternity. Jesus says, be faithful unto death, and you'll receive a crown of life. He's saying, hey, Smyrna, look around. You see all these fancy-schmancy temples in this city? Yeah, that's the crown of Smyrna, right? But guess what? I'm giving you a better crown. You're getting the crown of life. You don't need the crown of Smyrna. You got the crown of life. These people are wealthy and they're, they're, they're extremely wealthy and they're doing well and they're worshiping in these temples and you're poor and you're destitute, but I'm giving you life. I'm crushing you with the stench of death, but just as myrrh is crushed, releasing that fragrance that covers death's stench. When your trial is complete, 
when you've been crushed, you won't smell like death anymore. You're going to radiate the sweet aroma of life. Remember, I was alive and now I'm dead. I mean, I was, I was dead and now I'm alive. I was first and now I'm last. I overcame by being faithful to the cross. You'll overcome by being faithful to me. And so I think for us today, if your faith is real, your faith will last. And in the end, Jesus is going to give us life. He says, because I live, you'll live also. And finally, in verse 11, he says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Those of you in this room who are real believers are not going to be hurt by the second death. That's the one to worry about. You know, the first death is only physical and but for a moment. The second death is eternal. So what do we have to fear? Jesus says, be faithful unto death and I'll give you life. Be an overcomer, a true believer, and you'll only experience the first death. You may die once, but you'll never die twice. Those without Jesus are going to face that second death that he talks about in Revelation chapter 20. And you don't want to be there. So the message to Smyrna, the myrrh church, the crushed church is the same message to us. Jesus had no condemnation for Smyrna. Don't you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord? Don't you want to hear those words? I know I do. If you have an ear this morning, he's speaking to you. And I know sometimes this message is hard to accept. It's hard Sometimes, because you know we want a pain-free life. We want a trouble-free life, don't we? I want my bills paid. I want my body to work. I want my family and friends to love me and to never leave. I want respect. I want to be understood. I want the finer things in life. Maybe sometimes I just want peace and quiet. But the truth is, every person alive, every one of us in this room, will face trouble in our lives. That's just the truth. We all have our own race to run. We all have our own agony to push through. And that's true whether you love Jesus or not. doesn't matter. You're going to face trouble. So let me ask you this morning, are you being crushed right now? Is God doing some crushing in your life in some certain way? Changing your attitudes, changing your heart, circumstantially trouble in your life? Well, you don't have to be hopeless. You can be crushed, but you can hope in the knowledge that you are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ as you cooperate with Him. You know, our perspective is limited by what we see. God's perspective is totally unlimited. Why? Because He sees the beginning and He sees the end. And it's all about perspective this morning. And Jesus gave Smyrna a different perspective about themselves. They thought they were poor. Jesus said, no, listen, you're rich. They thought they were facing death. He said, no, you be faithful, and I'm giving you the crown of life. They thought they were being crushed, and Jesus said, no, you're being transformed. Transformed from useless self-centeredness into the sweet aroma of love for me. And it takes a, a mature perspective to believe and embrace that truth. But you know what? This morning, Jesus wants us to grow up. 
He wants us to understand that there's purpose for trouble in my life, to not complain and fight against it. Jesus calls us to be faithful, to trust Him no matter the circumstance. Be faithful unto death. I know it's hard to say, as Job said, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. But that's what Jesus is calling us to. And He has no words of condemnation or judgment for that attitude. And though this letter to Smyrna, the little myrrh church, a church being crushed, a church that was faithful unto death, though Jesus speaks these words to them, I think he's wanting to say something to us this morning specifically. I think he's wanting to say to us, evil is widespread. Yes, Jesus says, I know. You're living in an evil world. But guess what? It's not going to win. Faithfulness is costly. I know. But it's not futile. Affliction and trouble is going to continue. Jesus says, I know. But you know what? I've put a limit on it. It's going to end. I'm the first and I'm the last. I was dead and now I'm alive. You can trust in me. In the time of trouble, I encourage you to turn to Jesus not for the mess He can get you out of, but for the power He has to get you through it. So what's your perspective today? I mean, none of us here in this room are suffering to the point of death as the Smyrnans suffered or as our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering. But that doesn't minimize our trouble. Trouble is trouble, no matter how it comes. And so today you may be having trouble. And if not, praise God. Praise God. You're not in the midst of trouble right now. But remember, it's on its way. So when trouble comes, you have a choice. And this is the perspective I think Jesus wants to speak to us today. You have a choice. You can look at the sorrow or you can look at the Savior. Jesus says, be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you love us more than we can even imagine. I thank you that you were crushed on the cross for us. And Lord, you call us to be faithful unto death. And through that, you'll give us life. Lord, I pray for each one of us in this room right now. Whatever trouble we may be facing, whatever trouble may be on the horizon, Lord, we don't know what the days ahead bring, but you do. So, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place today, this message would burn in our hearts to be faithful unto death, to allow that crushing test of trouble and trials, Lord, to transform us into a sweet aroma of grace and love for you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.